If we want this podcast to continue, we need your help. And do you know how you can help us? How can people help us, Rob? People can help us, Duncan, by liking and subscribing and leaving five-star reviews. Do they have to be five-star? They don't have to be five-star, but I'd prefer it if they were five-star, frankly. Welcome to A Pod Too Far, where we relive the great days of the war film before computers came along and ruined it all. A time when, if you wanted to film a battle, you had to persuade a dictator to lend you his army. Today, we've got our teacher to wheel a big telly into the classroom and watch what may be the greatest battle depiction ever seen on screen. Waterloo. I'm Rob Hutton, and I'm praying for night or for Blucher. With me is a scum-of-the-earth corporal caught in the act of stealing a pig and who knows what else. Duncan Weldon. Thank you, Rob. What a lovely introduction. <laughs> Why are we doing Waterloo? We're doing Waterloo because uh, Ridley Scott's Napoleon is just about to hit the cinemas, um, starring Joachim Phoenix. Uh, in it's the going to have a much bigger budget and far fewer extras. Yes, well, right. So, I mean, there was a point, I think, a couple of years ago when you and I were discussing whether we could be extras. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> they, they did advertise. They said there'd be a rigorous military fitness training regime. There. <laughs> I think that was the point at which yeah. we realised <laughs> we couldn't be extras. <laughs> the trailer looks terrific, so yeah. long as you don't mind the fact that he's doing a cavalry charge and that kind of thing. Yeah, and he and, obviously and, 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 and he's quite... Far too old, but we'll yes. leave that. We'll leave that side. <laughs> um, Napoleon is an incredibly filmed character, going right back to the twenties, and every decade or so, somebody sort of films him. The Russians are slightly obsessed with him. It will come to the Russian obsession with him. Why? What is it about this guy? Look, he's just a fascinating character, though, isn't he? You know, I mean, you're a ridiculously successful general by the time he's twenty-five, dictator of France by the time he's um, thirty. You know, sort of effective master of Europe by forty. And then dead not long after 50. You know, I mean, the, the new trailer says he came from nothing. Well, not quite nothing, you know, sort of yeah. minor Corsican nobility. But, you know, to make himself the character he was, to dominate Europe, to, you know, write a legal code, which is still used across lots of Europe, as well as being arguably the greatest general of all time. He's just a, an endlessly fascinating character. And it's because of that that they're able to make this film at all. Yes. There's this problem that Dino De Laurentiis, who's this sort of epic movie maker, is obsessed with the idea, spends years trying to make it and realises it's going to be very expensive. Yeah. And then he strikes a deal with the Soviet film industry. Yes, to provide a large area of Ukraine for filming and thousands of soldiers Tens to of be thousands. the Seven, 17,000 Soviet soldiers, <laughs> bulldozed hills, yep. planted a wood, Sowed crops. Yep. It's... And these 17,000 soldiers all went through learning their Napoleonic drill, which I presume was not useful in their later <laughs> Red Army careers. I mean, I haven't managed to find anywhere the basis on which the, the Soviet film industry sort of agreed to fund and, uh, and essentially make this film about, well, as it's offered, a British general with German help beating yeah. a Frenchman. Yes. but so And there must be some weird, fascinating politics going on in that mm -hmm. that tells you something or other about the, the, the Soviet film industry. <laughs> but I don't, I don't, let's talk about what this film is to us. Where did you typically watch Waterloo? Now, I can't remember the first time I've seen it. This is, of all of the films we've spoken about, possibly 
the one I've watched the most. You know, often when we decide what we're doing, you'll message yeah. me and say, have you found it streaming anywhere? And this one I could say, well, obviously I own it. Um, <laughs> and, you know, open up the DVD player for the first time in a while. Um, so yeah, I must have seen this film eight or nine times. I first saw it. Now, I think it may well have been shown at school. And I'm not sure that was the first time I saw it, but it was definitely shown at school at least once. I, I think there. we watched it quite a lot at school. <laughs> um, I was trying to describe to my children the wheeling in the big telly thing, yeah. which like so many other aspects of my childhood, they just refuse to believe is real. Yeah, yeah. But um, Typically happens in early July as you're heading towards yes. the summer holidays. <laughs> Teachers really can't be bothered to do anything else. Let's wheel in the big telly. I was just discussing with someone today what other films are in the big telly uh, history canon. Because I don't think we ever got Zulu, really. I no. think, but one of my friends watched Glory a lot. Okay, okay. which actually, we, I, yeah, so I, we could add Glory film, to decent, the list. Yeah, we I, yeah, I, film. I, it's yeah. slightly late for us, yeah. but I, I feel. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that they really like this one because actually, if you're sort of trying to teach the Battle of Waterloo, I know that it's not completely historically accurate, but if you want to get a sense of a cavalry charge yeah. or. Well, we'll come back to forming square, but you yeah. want to get a sense of forming square yeah. and what that what that looked like. This is how you teach it. Yeah, no, it's it's yeah. I mean, it's broadly, broadly historically accurate, and there isn't much of a plot really, other than the Hundred Days campaign. You know, it's, it's, it works as sort of a, a docudrama <laughs> about um, the Hundred Days. Something has happened, obviously, to history education in the last. 30 years because I can draw battle diagrams from a series of what were considered sort of canonical uh, British and largely uh, British, largely English battles. So I can do Naseby and Mastermore and I probably could do Waterloo yeah. at some level. I don't think, again, that my no, children... No, more history of medicine now. Less, yeah. less, uh, do they less... even know what the symbol is for <laughs> cavalry versus infantry? It's a little rectangle you've got to... I mean, sort of... Kids these days, Rob. Yes. <laughs> so the film costs, I mean, it's still one of the most expensive films ever made. And it would have, I mean, it would have cost far more. 28 weeks of filming. It loses money. Yeah. There is an argument, apparently, there's some dispute about whether this is true, but whether this is the thing that kills uh, Stanley Kubrick's attempt yes, to make a Napoleon Yes, which, which is something it really shouldn't be forgiven for if it was. I mean, yeah. you, know, you said before, you know, all of these different Napoleon movies over the years. The one we never got was the Stanley Kubrick one, which he... I mean, he he read hundreds of books. This was this was like you know his life project, which he never got to make. Although Steven Spielberg is talking about making it as a drama series, I would yeah definitely be up. To, I mean, I I wonder. I assume that the Ridley Scott thing is going to be three hours long or something. Mm. But even then, I sort of wonder how you get from early Napoleon to Waterloo. How do you how do you do that in that time? Yeah, there's a lot to tell. Um, <laughs> Let's go to the after-action report. So, quick, Dad, they're on the cable car. When do you want to be called in? I think that this is a film of two halves, isn't it? Yes, and you probably want to be called in for the battle itself yeah. rather it's than you, all of the... Having discussed watching it many times at school, yeah. I realised that we probably never watched the first <laughs> half. I think basically they would, they, maybe they would just bring in the videotape rewound to the bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sort yeah. of... Um, how do you feel about Rod Steiger's performance in this? I don't. I don't really feel any of the performances, and I include Orson Welles in that, or um, <laughs> as um, 
Louis the Fifteenth. I I don't think any of the performances really stand up that well, do they? No, um, it is scenery chewing. There's obviously something about Napoleon that lends itself to overacting. Yes, I'm sure that Phoenix won't do that. But <laughs> but, um, but Steiger. I mean, some people say I, I have seen in reviews of this. Some people say actually this this may have captured quite well what what Napoleon was like at this stage of his career. But I also think. It's a Soviet director, and it's an incredibly mannered film. It's it, there's a sort of there's all of these there's all of these sort of sudden cuts and Steiger staring into the distance as yeah. the camera zooms in on him. So and film he directing nineteen seventy one or one has been yes. Been, um... <laughs> I also I have to say the the sometimes the whispered voices where you sort of you get what's going on in someone's head works yeah. a lot of the time. It made me think of Dune. <laughs> um, which is also a Dino De Laurentiis film, which, yes. which it may be yes. that he sort of he thought this and thought this would this would work. We definitely work. Yeah, more of this in films, please. <laughs> he shall know their ways as if born to them. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> that said, the first hour is first of all actually the first thing that I, I in my notes in the first ten minutes I just literally wrote how much does this did this cost because there's. What the scenes at Fontainebleau and yeah, um, yeah but, you know, yeah. and and they've just got so many troops. Yes, but I mean, it's, a, it's a weird, it's a weird starting point. You know, you start the film starts sort of spring eighteen fourteen, the end of the First Empire, when you know Napoleon has been defeated and is abdicating, mm. but then he's coming back really quickly. Yeah, and I I do wonder if it wouldn't have been easier to start with him coming back rather than having this long opening. You know, him being confronted by the marshals at Fontainebleau, them saying, you know, the game is up, you've got to go. I, the only thing that those bring you is his relationship with Ney. Yes. I mean, no, I thought it was all, I thought it was all deeply odd. And yeah. actually, I, I must have watched this, but I, if you'd asked me whether that was in it, I would have told yeah. you no. Yeah. You know, I've, I've fe- definitely watched the second half of this a lot yeah. more than yes. I've watched the first half. Yes. Um, and then you get, you know, Ney's boast, I'll bring him back in an iron yeah. cage, which is an accurate quote by all accounts. Do you want to talk about what happened to Ney after uh, yeah, because you introduced me to one of my favourite conspiracy yeah, theories. Yeah, okay. So what actually happened? What actually happened to Ney afterwards was he was tried for treason for abandoning um, the Bourbon restored monarchy and killed by firing squad. So you know, very very sad death. And it, you know, it's quite interesting. It didn't happen to any of the other marshals. He's the one that's made an example of various other marshals who had defected back to Napoleon sort of survived and went on to have longer, you know, Soult ended up as Prime yeah. Minister of France a few times. I mean, this, this film slightly sort of gives a narrative that explains yeah. why, that yeah. somehow that Ney yeah. was, that he was, as it were, pour encourager les autres, yes. you know. Yeah. So Ney's, Ney's actually, but there is a, there is a conspiracy theory. That Great he, conspiracy that he's, theory. Which is not true, but is lovely, that he slipped away to America. There are all of these stories of a, a man who was uh, living in, I think, the Carolinas in the 1820s, Carolina, yeah, the 1830s, yeah. who was a French, uh, originally French, who had the striking red hair, who apparently was very, very handy with a sabre. And once there was a sort of travelling fencing master challenging people and this, you know, older French guy easily, easily bested him and then on his deathbed apparently said, I am, I am Michael Ney, Michel Ney. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I mean... I would love that to be true, and, I, <laughs> and it's just a really weird thing to be obsessed with. Mm, that do, mm. do, it, it's a it's a funny one for people to have come up with. Um, back to the film. That's uh, I mean, the Ney first... gets a really bad rep in the film as well. Yeah, like you know the film. You know, just sticking with uh, Ney, you know, bravest of the brave, all of this. I like think the, 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 the historical consensus is 
phenomenally brave cavalry leader should never be entrusted with independent command right. uh, and, and doesn't always do well in the plane. But, you know, this film sort of portrays what I think is quite a British myth that Ney goes a bit mad, that, you know, Napoleon is ill, mm. Ney's in command, so Ney's like, oh, cavalry charge, that'll do it, which, you know, ends disastrously. I think that's quite unfair. You know, at the, right, we're going to get wonky about this. We're going to get wonky <laughs> about this. De Erlon's corps has just made its attack. It's failed and it is retreating. At this point, Ney throws in the heavy cavalry. The film portrays this as Ney thinking the heavy cavalry will break the British. No, Ney is doing exactly what you were supposed to do for the heavy cavalry reserve. It's your only mobile force. He's using it to cover the retreat of de Erlen's corps. And this shouldn't be seen as like, you know, an insane attack. This is just buying time for de Erlen's corps to to regroup. Okay, well, no. th- th- yes, right. In defence of, minor of Marshall Ney, yeah. dealt with. Going back, going back yeah. to the first hour of this film, which is iffy, I, I have to say I love a ball being broken up by yes. uh, soldiers having to leave. Yeah. It happens in Top Gun. I love it in <laughs> Top Gun. I love it. <laughs> I, lo- I think this is probably the uh, example of it. Yeah, That's, um, yeah I mean, it, it's uh, all, all of that is good. I also do like the bit sort of... What that night, which we offered as the night before the battle, or is it the night before yeah. the battle, or what? Because there's a bit yeah. of time contraction here, where you sort of have Napoleon and Wellington as if talking to each other. Yes, that is the one stylistic thing that I thought. Oh, yeah. this works. This works. Yeah. This is quite good. And you do slightly have to have something to explain to people who do not know this battle yeah. by heart yes. what the hell is going on and what each of them is is hoping for and counting yeah. on. And I think it, I think it does that very well. That said. Scenes to be called in from are all basically in the last hour. Yes. And I mean, I, I would be called in for the last hour. Yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah. I mean, I'm there for pipes and drums. Yeah, I'm the charge of the Scots Greys, all uh, of this yep, sort of stuff. That, yeah, all the cowboy charges. If you have to pick one, if you have to pick one scene that you're you're rushing, you know, it's the probably Desert for me. The, it's probably for me the Scots Greys charge, the, the British heavy cavalry charge. Um, I think it's a, yeah, very nicely done, very pretty. It uh, is, yeah. and it, I mean, it's an interesting example of how sort of. History influences art, which then influences other art, because yeah. you can. There's a very famous Lady Elizabeth Butler yeah, painting of yeah. of that charge. Yeah. Um, obviously, and, and she, the film is very clearly based on yes. the painting. Yeah, um, and the, yeah. the film, and you could there's a, there's a shot in the film that, that you're like, yeah. oh, I know yeah. what that is. I mean, in reality, the ground was really muddy, so they were probably yeah. moving at the trot or canter rather than the gallop. Yeah, um, and they argued, well, probably let's be honest, weren't wearing the full dress uniform. Very pretty, but you probably had, you know, like all skin covers over various things. It would have been a bit more drab in, in reality. But it is, it is. I mean, when we when we one day come to do Saving Private Ryan, there's a really interesting relationship between the the Normandy beaches, the way that's filmed, and Robert Capper's photography and mm. so on, which we which we'll talk about then. Mm. But yeah, no, this is. Yeah. I I love the fact that you're looking at this and you suddenly think, oh, this looks very familiar. Yeah. I know, I know, I know, I know what it's familiar yes. from. <laughs> So if I had to pick a scene, mm-hmm. um, I'm going for Forming Square. Yeah, yeah, it's very... Yeah. I mean, I just think... And actually, that's... It, 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 and lovely it, use of the aerial photography to zoom yeah. out to give you the... Yeah. Well, partly because how difficult must that have been to yeah. film? Yes. You've got to teach these guys to form square. You've got to yeah. teach these other guys to charge. Yeah. You know, I mean, it actually looks quite dangerous. Yes, yes. This is the days when if you wanted... To have a cavalry charge, somebody had to go and find, I think, five, seven thousand horses are involved yes. in the making of yeah. this film. Yeah. You know, and 
and people have and your extras have got to be yeah. trained to ride them. Yes, I think had you and I made it into the, um, we wouldn't have been crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and apparently, actually, the, apparently the Soviet soldiers were not good at, at facing a cavalry charge and yeah. kept, kept kept fleeing. But yeah, no, it's it just first of all because it's an amazing shot and how did they yeah. do it? And it's the one that stays in the mind. And yeah. I think I did at. My school, you know, I did know quite a lot about how squares yeah. were formed and the yeah. function of them, and so on. And 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 it's quite nice to see yeah. it, frankly. But you know, it's interesting that I um, you compared this to you know, w- w- this weekend um, after I watched uh, I watched Waterloo on the Saturday. On the Sunday evening, I watched Sharps Waterloo, which <gasps> I hadn't seen in a very long time. And you know, the thing about this is, you know, this is the final TV series of Sharp. Sharp is you know massive mm. program. Late nineties. Late nineties. Yeah. yeah. Um, the you know thirty years yeah the first series was thirty years ago this November, um, so this would have been twenty five years ago the final series, and you know the, the budget had clearly been increased for the Waterloo episode, but it's still Waterloo with a couple of hundred people. Yes, <laughs> and this is before they compare. can they can sort of yes. paint them all in. Yes, I mean, so so Peter Jackson making the Lord of the Rings sort of apparently cites Waterloo as a big influence, and I you know look I love the Lord of the Rings, yeah, but. The bottom line is that sort of they, the well, New Zealand the only... army is just not that yeah. big, and they don't probably don't have a cavalry, and uh, you, you know that that six guys cut yeah. and paste. You know, well, the only the only film I've seen that's come anywhere close in the last thirty years is the um, early nineties Gettysburg, which has the same feel with sort of Martin Sheen and um, uh, Jeff Daniels. Okay. Yeah, and it's, it's yeah. got a, it's got an awful lot of extras, and it look you know Pickett's Charge looks like Pickett's Charge, um, but that's you know that, that, that's the last one I can think of. Just before CGI and clearly with a budget. So they don't, they just don't make them like this anymore. No, they don't. (laughs) (laughs) So, Duncan, she's not so dumb. Are there any women in this film? I mean, there well, are. There are. There are. There's there a surprisingly yeah, large number of women yeah, in this film. I don't have for... a huge amount to say, but <laughs> yeah. Um, but, there, but yeah, there are. There are. I, I... So sort of Duchess of Richmond, I guess, is the. Um... I, I, the, I mean, the, un, the unfortunate fact, given the previous answer, is that there are women, but they're largely. If, if you were if you were cutting the film, yes, they're yeah, the ones yeah, you yeah. cut. The, I, I, are we supposed to think that the Duchess of Richmond and Wellington are at it? That's certainly this? implied, isn't it? I, I, I think that? I can't find any evidence that that's true. No, 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 no. Uh, Though apparently he had quite a flirty correspondence with her daughter. Really? Yeah. I mean, that may provide the answer to the um, uh, Dan Buster's talk. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes, there's a book a couple of years ago about about his his correspondence with her. It's not clear that anything was acted upon, but I think actually what this does capture is that he was a massive flirt. Yes, yes. Um, And... You know, there's the dreamy stuff with with young Lord Hay and yeah. and whichever daughter it's supposed to be. I yeah. wasn't quite. She had a, she actually she had a huge number of children. The Duchess of well, you had to, didn't you? Yeah. Well, <laughs> not not everyone survived. Yeah. I mean, that was the dangerous thing that she was doing. Yeah. So there are women, but ultimately not not yeah. memorably. Yeah. Um, but it's not even a film about men. It's a film about the Battle of Waterloo, yes, which happens to have true, lots of men actually. there. Yeah. Are there men in this film? Yeah. I mean, obviously, I, I, technically, yes, but not yeah. really. Okay. Yeah. Um. The casualty list. Well, the, it, it's, it's big. <laughs> it's big. <laughs> How many people died at the Battle of Waterloo? Do you happen to know? Um, oh, top of my head, I don't know. I can tell you. 55,000. Ter- Do you know what happened to them? Uh, no, tell me what happened to them. This is true. They got made into soap. 
they buried them all there. And it appears that archaeologists have now pretty conclusively proved that in the 1820s and the 1830s, the Belgian soap industry um, dug them up, turned them into household products. Goodness me. Yeah. <laughs> Again, the 19th I, century, I judged, very different. You literally, you silenced yeah. me. <laughs> Do you think, sort of like a lot of archaeology going, where are the mass graves? Oh. oh. <laughs> Keep that in mind for when yeah. we get to war crimes. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody said to me today that the, the, um, the BBC adaptation of Vanity Fair captured... Oh, yes. Waterloo. Well, does, now I can't does. remember that. It does. I, it does. Becky Sharp there, isn't she? Yes, um, I've forgotten this. It's not not bad. And what I think the one thing that this doesn't particularly capture, maybe I'm being unfair on it, is the extent to which it, after you've done the cavalry charges and after you've sort yeah. of you've done your shot, you're then killing each other by sticking spears effectively. Oh, you know, you're, you're going you're going yeah. forward of the bayonets, and what usually happens is one side breaks before contact. Right. So there's not actually that many oh, right. injuries. Okay, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah, right. so usually either one side will refuse to press home or the other one will break. So it's it's as much psychological as um as 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 not. Right. So actually so I I'm wrong to yeah. feel that we didn't get enough. Yeah, we didn't enough, get no, enough not, not a huge amount of actual bayonet fighting. Usually when a long ordered line of men are walking towards you with, you know, sharpened bayonets usually yeah. decide okay so we've had enough of this <laughs> um, or you decide you know or, yeah. or alternatively when your your long ordered line is marching towards the, the somebody else's line you're coming yeah. under fire you yeah. think you know what lads we're yeah, not going to make it, make it <laughs> so. I mean I think that you know, the thing to me that the film really misses and it's sort of fascinating given you know, it's essentially a sort of Russian Italian production mm. it's a very very British view you know you look at you know if you look at Wellington's army you know firstly the film doesn't give us much of the Prussians yeah. who are, you know, a, just as big a part of the campaign as the British and turn up at the end of Waterloo. Yeah, they're, they're, they're the decisive there. difference. Yeah, decisive yeah. difference. But, but you look at the, you know, inverted commas, British army, it's only about a third British. You know, a, yeah. a third Dutch-Belgian, a third various German contingents, um, you know, Hanoverians, um, various little Saxon Dutchers, all this. And then, yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's a very... British army were shown, well, but it wasn't that British. I mean, this is what I find so odd, given that, that sort of I, I read that historically yeah. Russia sort of regards Britain as the old enemy and and yeah. and so on, and yet you if you if you would just showed this film to someone and said, you know, which country made this, they yeah. would say, well, that's British, clearly yeah, a yeah, British it's film, a very traditional British telling of the battle. Yeah, that's um, yeah. the Cooler King Award for the most gratuitous American character. I mean. Fine. Yeah, that's, um, fine, fine. Not even, I mean, not even interestingly, any American God, God actors. Bless, God bless a Soviet production. Yes. <laughs> I was, but I was wondering whether we would get some kind of Soviet sort of, yes. you know, that what what's the? There's no great proletarian moment. No, there's no. There's. I, 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 it's a very odd production for the Soviet yeah. Union to do, but yeah. Right, I've got an absolute... You're going to love this one. <laughs> Introducing, who's in this in a tiny part who went on to be a legend? You are going to love the one I've got. That, um, it is the most me one I've got. Okay, it's going to be 1980s. It is. It's going to be television. Yep. Go on. Well, me. it is genuinely what I have thought every time I have seen this film, yeah. every time from childhood, yeah. is that the Earl of Uxbridge is Charlie Hungerford from Bergerac. And he's obviously Charlie Hungerford from Bergerac. <laughs> and I can't take him seriously as anyone other than Charlie Hungerford from Bergerac. Oh, Bergerac. I just think, I, I just think oh, it's Charlie from Bergerac. Yeah. I'm going to remind <laughs> listeners that this feature was originally who went on to be a big star uh, rather than 
who was a character in Bergerac in the 1980s. But I okay. have to tell you that in my household in the 1980s, yeah. it was Bergerac and Lovejoy all the way. Yeah, that... but Bergerac had a leather jacket as well, didn't he? He did, yeah. He did, uh, yeah, so yeah. Leather, leather jacketed men of 1980s television, <laughs> Bergerac and Lovejoy. <laughs> Bergerac but... had the better theme music. Yes, I think that's yeah. fair. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's bought it, Sarge. The best death. I'm going to give you three options. Go on. You, you can, uh, you can no, no, ask go, for go, more. Go, 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 I'll, I'll give you Lord Hay. Yeah. He's a young man. Think of England. Yeah, Think of your sweethearts. Yeah. 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 Bang. Yeah. I'm going to give you Ponsonby. Yeah. And I'm going to give you the old guard. Oh, it has to be the old guard. I think it, it does have to end. be the old yeah, guard. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, you know, again, like the, the cry of the old guard at the end, you know, the, the, there are two accounts. There's, a, there's an account the French prefer, which is, you know, the old guard dies and never surrenders. Yes. And then there's just the call of murder. Yeah, we were very excited by that at school because yes. somebody knew what it meant. Ah, there we go. <laughs> yes, I think I think it goes to the old guard. Yeah. I poor poor old Lord Hay. Yeah, um, real person, but didn't die no. at Waterloo. No. Died at Catrabah. No, um, yeah. two days earlier. Which is sort of. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of it's technically sort of new, is it that uh, part about the Waterloo. Yeah, the film yeah. that sort of Catrabah and Ligny are sort of they're present in the film, but they they don't want to detract from their big Waterloo yeah. sequence. Yeah. A good luck award for best meme. I mean, there is a meme from this film, actually. Have Does you it involve seen... legs? No, well, it's not, actually. Okay. It's, it's Napoleon hearing that Blucher has arrived. Oh. And there's a gif that, I mean, I don't, yeah. actually, there's one person on Twitter I know who uses this, this but I do know that he listened to this podcast, who, uh, um, PC Brian Williams, hello, Brian, yeah. uh, who, it's, it's, the, it's the zoom shot in on, uh, mm. on Napoleon when he realises uh, uh, that Blucher's yeah. arrived and that yeah. it's all gone wrong. <gasps> yeah. And what, you know, really brings home is the problem of Napoleonic uniforms. So, you know, the French fight in a light blue. It's quite dark, really, a dark blue. The Prussians fight in a dark blue. Now, very close up, you can tell them mm. apart. At the time the Prussians arrive, Napoleon has detached um, quite a strong force under Marshal Grouchy to prevent the Prussians arriving and then has been desperately trying to summon back. So when, when, when the Prussians arrive like, in the battle, it takes the French quite a while to work out, is this our returning war under Grouchy oh, yes. or is this the Prussians? And you can't tell till they're quite close. It all defeats the point of you all having these different brightly coloured uniforms if you pick a quite similar colour to your enemy. I Apparently thought. it took ages in the First World War for the French to be persuaded to stop wearing brightly coloured uniforms. Yes. I, 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 the, I, the British accept fairly, you know, I think have accepted yeah. Yeah. that this is a bad idea yeah, in yeah, the age of the high-powered rifle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the French are still clinging to it. Yeah, yeah. That's, yes. <laughs> Stiffest upper lip. Um, now, now we're going to, now we're going yes. to talk. My God, sir, I've lost my leg. I got so you have, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> which is again apparently, well, this is the quote which has made it into the history. Yeah. Whether he had quite so much sort of sang froid when it actually happened, I don't actually know. I meant to check. Does does this kill Uxbridge or? No, I don't think it does. Actually, we, well, we can check. Which that, is why he's yeah. able to retire to Jersey. Hang around with the but, <laughs> but I did. I mean, actually, that's the other thing about this. Film I did feel slightly is that somebody had got the big book of the wit and wisdom of the Duke of Wellington. Yes, and you know we were sort of getting we were slightly ticking off. Yeah, famous Wellington quotes. Yeah, although it it being an international production, especially it being an international production that you knew you were going to want to show in Russia, I yeah. think one there isn't a huge amount of dialogue, and that's possibly because they're sort of like the less yeah. of this we have, the easier this is to yes. sort of to yes. Um, there are no nasty Nazis. 
No, and no. no, really, no nasty anyone. I mean, no, no, I mean even Napoleon's. I mean, Napoleon's portrayed quite sympathetically for what is a very oh, British, very sympathetic for what is a very British yeah. take on the battle. I mean, it's basically this is offered as the tragedy of Napoleon. It begins yeah. with him and it ends with him, and yeah. which again I find odd because surely in Russia Napoleon is a huge villain. Surely, yes. You know. You'd have thought so, you know, burning Moscow um, and all of that. Yeah. The Dan Buster's dog prize for the most problematic moment, apart from the Duke of Wellington's relationship with the Duchess of Richmond's daughter. I mean, it's possibly just sort of the missing out of all of the Dutch-Belgian and German contributions. It's not that problematic compared I, well, to some I, things I, we've had. Actually, what I will give you is the number of horses killed making this. Because, well, it's I don't know the exact number, but it's, it's more, more than none. Because because it be if, if they'd been making it in America by this point, when you want a horse to fall, yeah. there there are various ways that you can do it safely. Because yeah. they're shooting in the Soviet Union, they do it the old-fashioned way, which is essentially to attach a wire to the back the horse's back oh, legs dear. and pull them out behind oh, the horse. Dear. Which you know, yeah. not all of the horse, after that, you have to shoot quite a lot of them. Yeah. Um, so okay, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. That I'll is that. that you definitely yeah. animals were harmed in the making of this film. Um, I mean, aside from all of the the, the sort of famous last words, the, the best lines, we, we've had a lot of them. I have to say I have two other nominations um, which stuck with me. The other noblest cavalry in Europe and the worst lead. <laughs> <laughs> and also, uh, going back slightly to what you were saying about Ney, how can a man go forward with cavalry without infantry support? Yeah. Which is not, I have to, on the face of it, a great quote. But having just written a book about the desert war, yeah. Um, there's there's quite a lot of hang on what 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 are your tanks doing? Yeah, well, this, this, is like, this is the fascinating thing about Napoleonic warfare. In a way, for a quick aside, it's there's, there's sort of an element of um, paper scissors stone to it with the cavalry, the infantry, yeah. and the artillery. That you know, unsupported cavalry can't beat infantry, but what they can do is force them into squares, and squares make great targets for artillery. Cal- for, right, for artillery, right, yes, right. Yeah. So that's sort of how you're meant to use them, sort of interacting. With each other, so yeah, it's a, so yeah you know, the, the complaint that you're just throwing all this cavalry forward at the infantry isn't going to. I think if you, it's a really good book on the experience of Napoleonic battle. But you know, the whole thing is you're getting cavalry to charge a square. All of these men sort of you know pulled in close, yeah, with their bayonets out. You know, the horses just won't do it generally. Yeah, I think if you look right through the Napoleonic Wars, all the way back Revolutionary Wars as well, 1792 to 1815, 23 years of near constant warfare. There are only something like five or six examples of squares breaking to cavalry. That, really? Yeah. You, you, you don't. Once the infantry are in square, cavalry have done their job, they wait for the artillery to come up. Right. So essentially at that point, the cavalry pull back and, yeah. and let, the, yeah. let the artillery And the do. main use of your own cavalry is to get rid of the opponent's cavalry so you don't get bottled up in squares. Right. Yeah. It's just educational, this podcast, <laughs> really. They should play this on in schools. Um, judgment at Nuremberg. Uh how many war crimes are committed? Well, I mean, obviously, Napoleon's carted off afterwards. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, there, there, is a, there is a view and, yeah. and Ney is shot. Yeah. Um, not clear that either of these is a war crime. A pig is stolen. There's definitely... <laughs> which which actually, you know, sort of Wellington seems to suggest is something that theoretically the chap ought to get shot for. Yes, I believe so, yeah. Looting. Um, yeah. Looting is... Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, fairly war crime free. Duncan, is this the operation that changed the course of World War Two? That's a good one, isn't it? Um, I want I mean, a better. I want a good answer for this. Well, okay. Obviously, obviously, this is the first time we've spoken about a film which is not set in World War Two, <laughs> which makes the question slightly harder. I mean, it's a really interesting one, isn't it? You know, what would actually be different had Napoleon won at Waterloo? 
And, you know, I, I, my really boring answer is not actually very much. Because, you know, what, what happens, you know, he comes back to power, the coalition instantly reassembles, there's the big Prussian army and the big sort of Anglo-Dutch army in the Low Countries who he strikes at first. And let's say he somehow wins. He, he, beats, he beats Wellington at Waterloo. He can then turn and fight the Prussians again. And let's say he wins that. Mm-hmm. There's about 200,000 Austrian and Russian soldiers moving towards France right. at this point. So he'd then have to do it again against the Austrians and the Russians. So I think, you know, it's really hard to see the circumstances under which the French Second Empire is reestablished. So I, I think almost regardless of what happens on the field of Waterloo, you know, 1815 as a whole plays out quite similarly. So I'm afraid we can't construct a really ambitious counterfactual where World War II looks very different if Napoleon had won. I, it's, it's interesting you say it because I feel like, although, you know, it's sort of, as a schoolboy, I was told mm. that, that Waterloo was a great victory. Yeah. It feels like there was a sort of 19th century counter narrative that said this is absolutely appalling because all, all of the worst people in, in Britain one yeah you know and we didn't we didn't have a revolution yeah and uh you know and and so yeah. you know we kept the house of lords and and yeah. and yeah uh that is a theme in history argument, oh, yeah. isn't it yeah. Yeah. yeah but do you think ultimately it makes no i think i think the actual battle itself was um i think everything is stacked against napoleon in 1815 he has a good try but no it doesn't it doesn't <laughs> it's hard to see the way out when all of europe is arrayed against you worth dying for how does this film stand up? Oh, it's a tough question. Look, this, is, I, this film holds a special place in my heart. It is an incredible spectacle to mm. watch of old-fashioned filmmaking. But hand on heart, I'm not sure I can say it's a fantastic film. I mean, I, I will always like it. I will always like to watch the scenes. But would I recommend it to someone that hadn't seen it? Well, it doesn't really have okay. much yeah, of I think a any, if, you, if you haven't seen this film, somehow you're probably not going to see it i mean if you sort of if you if you've if you've reached adulthood and you haven't and actually i have to say i was i was watching this on on monday my kids came home from school and you know a 14 year old stayed arrived at about the right point there was battle stuff happening yeah a 14 year old stayed with me for longer than they do some of them and sort of professed mild interest just to see all of this stuff and it is it is interesting I, I think The Last Hour is the most amazing spectacle. Yeah, that, but spectacle's the word yeah. I'd use rather than... It, it, it's gripping in its own way, but the, the, the characters don't really have much to do. The acting yeah. isn't fantastic. There isn't really much of a plot in terms of progression. We're just going through the motions of watching the Battle of Waterloo, which is fascinating, but is it cinema? C'est <laughs> magnifique. <laughs> Waterloo, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for listening. Next week, we're on trial for our lives in Paths of Glory. <laughs>